Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode number 58. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always, every week is... The thirteenth doctor, Mitchell Davis. Yeah, yeah. You want me to be your doctor? You're, <laughs> you're in, you're in trouble. <laughs> What's up? How much, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm uh, off for a summer vacation, which is pretty awesome. So yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, and you're down in Houston, frying, and. Uh, baking in the humidity and uh getting uh your blood drained by mosquitoes yeah heat mosquitoes it's uh it's june and and houston especially after all the rain we got you know texas basically was uh was inundated by flood waters uh last few weeks and the rain has stopped you know that's good we we've gone about i don't know about a week now without the kind of rain we were getting and uh you know, we, we needed it, but it was so much in in such a short period of time. You know, it was it was it was kind of rough there. You know, I was I was thinking, okay, we 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 got enough. You know, because I mean, there was a few years back we had a drought that was that was weird, where you get no rain. You know, for several months, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's just like you know, here's some makeup for you, and we got tons of rain. So yeah, yeah. that that makes for you know really bad humidity lots of mosquitoes so it's you know like sit yeah <sighs> you yeah know, if, the, if the city of houston <laughs> had a flag it should have a mosquito on it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> pretty um, much i mean it's you know it's it, it is what it is you know i mean you you learn how to you know deal with it living here if you've lived here like i have all your life you know you just long sleeves in the summertime people look at you like what are you doing it's like you just don't understand, you know. I'm just, yeah, yeah. just trying to protect myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you either have to do that or just cover yourself with chemical bug repellent all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. And I, and it's pretty much it's both for me. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll even cover my head sometimes. You know, or like I said, people people think you've lost your mind. You know, but yeah. I'm just like, you know, it's just I'm I'm just trying to keep myself from being, you know mosquito to death <laughs> you know and covering yeah. up from the heat too i mean it's it's just that kind of atmosphere i mean when you work outside and I, i'm grateful for working outside you know working in an office would probably drive me crazy but you know it's it, it has its downside and that's part yeah. of it so <laughs> man you know you were mentioning earlier before the show how you bought those two bug zappers Somebody uh-huh. should invent something. It's like, like you know, that that beer hat with like two beer cans on it. Yeah. So instead of the beer cans, it'd be like a, two little bug zappers. I'm I'm sure if we look hard <laughs> enough, we could probably find one. <laughs> it'd be perfect so, for all those you know outdoor Houston festivals and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Somebody, some because I mean, one one of the ones I have, it, it's it has a, it charges like with a battery in it so you don't have to plug it in so i've already got one i mean it's it's kind of large to put on a hat but if you make a smaller version of that you're ready to go you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could put it on the end of a staff with like a chain it'd be like a one of those things they carry around in the catholic church except oh. <laughs> it'd be a bug zapper swinging around those things work dude i i was really <laughs> surprised i was I, the next morning i looked i was like oh my goodness i mean <laughs> You know, it, it 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 was good. I mean, I'm I'm trying to contribute to the mosquito population going down, and, yeah. and those things they really help. So, uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so on this episode of the podcast, we're gonna cover three more albums from Tom Moon's book, One Thousand Recordings to Hear Before You Die. First one we're gonna cover is Derek and the Dominoes, Layla, and other assorted love songs. Then we're gonna look at a jazz album by uh, Paul Desmond with guitarist Jim Hall, Take 10. And then we're going to look at an album from Africa by Tumani Diabate and Balake Sisoko, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, that's my best attempt at that. 
uh, their album New Ancient Strings. So uh, three completely different albums uh, today. But we're going to start with Derek and the Dominoes. Their album Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs released in 1971. And this is actually the third Clapton band we've covered on the podcast. Yeah. The first two being Blind Faith and Cream. Um, so we've already kind of talked about Clapton sort of a lot, but there's still a lot to talk about with this record um, and everything that he was going through and the, the things that, uh, you know, inspired these songs. And uh, yeah. Yeah, there's he, a lot to talk about here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the the fact that he was just one of those guys that kind of went from band to band and and was just you, you could tell he was looking for something, you know, you know, to kind of hang on to and, and, and you know, a, a stable sort of, of band to, to kind of, you know, OK, you know, this is a good vehicle. Well, this this definitely seemed like something that would wind up being, you know, a tremendous vehicle for him you know yeah but there was nothing um, stable about this band <laughs> no no and i mean you know that's yeah. that's that's obviously a big part of the problem i mean it was one of the things that maybe helped initially but eventually yeah they it just it drove everything right off the rails especially i mean him and his relationship with with Dwayne. i mean you know obviously we'll we'll talk about that i mean you know he's they they seemed like brothers you know the where they they both had playing styles that were really not the same but but sort of complemented each other yeah yeah and um you know just um yeah just oh god just so much going on with this record i mean reading and reading about it it's it's amazing to think that the things that he's gone through um some some huge tragedies i mean i i didn't i didn't really realize until i started looking closer especially at this record you know um but anyway um you know obviously you know the the one song you know that comes from this record layla that you know became a huge hit obviously it's it's an iconic song for him but it's weird to think that when this record first came out it didn't do very well yeah Um, i was surprised about that too yeah yeah i mean critically i mean it was you know the critics liked it but it didn't really sell well at all which obviously you know was you know sort of uh, a bummer for eric i mean you know yeah. he you know along with you know dealing with you know sort of personal problems and you know substance abuse apparently you know he went to through a bad depression um uh, behind that but uh you know still just a an amazing record <laughs> just throughout i mean just some really good performance, some really good mixing, you know, from uh, the engineer, Tom Dowd, you know, just, um, you know, not, nothing that hadn't been done before, but just, you know, some some really creative, you know, sort of, you know, new ways of, of laying down guitar tracks and, and, you know, other tracks as far as the piano and bass that the way this record was recorded. Um, and I, I think when when we both worked at um you know in retail they did a re-release on this album that was like a box set where they released like the complete like layla sessions and um that was sort of my first exposure to this record you know because i i hadn't really listened to like the the initial album uh-huh. you know up to that point and i mean listen to some of the the outtakes and, and all that i mean it was it was kind of cool, you know. I, I would actually like to go back and, and kind of revisit that. Um, yeah, it's just some some really really good good stuff to hear, you know. And I mean, you know, obviously the, the talk about guitar players and Eric Clapton always comes up, you know, when people talk about some of the greater guitar players. But but Dwayne, he comes up quite a bit too, um, for the way he could play, you know, that that kind of slide guitar style. Um, he did some pretty unusual things. I mean, well, he you know. he really added something really special to this album that wouldn't have been there had he not, you know, been part of it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Totally agree with you on that. Um, you know, that and, it, and it's the way it came about. Obviously, you know, uh, I guess Eric Clapton went to go see 
uh, the Allman Brothers, where because they, they were all in Florida or whatever, and they went to see them in a concert that night, and and they had already, you know, kind of been back and forth their people about, you know, Eric and Dwayne meeting and trying to record, and you know, it was just one of those things that happened, and it, the chemistry was there apparently right away, and uh, you know, just just a really good sort of lining up of the planets for the two of them to to get in the studio together and uh and make a, a really really good good record i mean because i mean he doesn't Dwayne doesn't play on every song but the songs that he plays on i mean you know it's it's just tremendous the stuff that they did <laughs> you yeah know? yeah yeah they had awesome uh, amazing like immediate chemistry uh clapton referred to him as his brother and uh it was like a like an instant thing, really. Yeah. It sounds like it was like an instant thing, um, and this is like the record where, I guess maybe this can tie into why he was so depressed after it didn't do very well and stuff. But this is the record where Clapton just bears it all. You know what I mean? He's yeah. just bears it. It's just everything's out for everyone to see, and it's all focusing on his own personal life and and feelings and all this kind of stuff and it just he yeah he just sort of put it all out there on this record yeah. um and there was a lot of drama and stuff going on in his life at the time um the biggest thing was obviously the song Layla and the other song is about Patty Boyd who was married to his best friend George Harrison yeah and he was completely in love with her and um i you know from the stuff that i read i didn't re- i didn't really it wasn't very clear if they if their relationship just ever went beyond friendship i'm not sure do you know i'm pretty sure it did <laughs> you're pretty sure it did okay yeah i mean he basically he, <laughs> he stole patty boyd from george harrison in a sense to where they they were they got very close you know and um, the 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 bad thing about that was, you know, like you said, George Harrison is he's like his buddy, you know. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the the fact that his obsession pushed past that friendship and any other moral issues. I mean, obviously she's married, you know, and he's after this married woman. You know, it went from just kind of like, you know, an infatuation to to just a strong love to obsession. And the I think that's part of the the issue too, where the the hoops of fire, so to speak, that he had to jump through to draw her away from George. You know, you know. Afterwards, you know, when they were kind of together, he he had to keep doing that, and it just it was just all toxic, you know, from the beginning. And um, I, I just think that. You know, I mean, it's it's rock and roll. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, stuff yeah. happens. I mean, there are, you know, there are relationships that jump off like that. And then the the drugs and the alcohol and all that along with that, you know, it was just a very volatile mix to where it didn't yeah. last long. And well, I didn't realize that they were like that down the rabbit hole, so to speak, with uh, all the, yeah. the, um, <laughs> the hard drugs and stuff at the time. That they were just apparently, you know, in their hotel rooms and stuff. They just had bags and bags of just every kind of drug you oh, could imagine, oh, yeah. and it was just laying all over the place. And they were just did, high all the time. And did, there's a there's yeah. a spot where they talk about Eric Clapton. They would they would wake up in the morning and there would be a, a girl there, like to, to basically take their orders for whatever they wanted, you know? Because I mean, they're in Florida, you know. It's just like, you know, okay, what do you want this morning? They would write down everything they wanted. She'd go get it, she'd bring it back, and then they they were set for the rest of the day. Yeah. You know? And um when it's when it's that easily accessible, you know, yeah, it's it's, it's just it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, yeah, it wasn't good at all. No. Um and you know, I mean they produced a great album, but um ultimately they just dissolved. They just, I mean, like just basically kind of disintegrated as a band. Yeah, um, I mean the 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 members. I mean, I read so many just just rough things that happened. I mean, one of the members died from 
from liver failure. Um, another one had apparently like a schizophrenic episode where he attacked his mother with a hammer, I think, and killed her. It yeah, was, yeah, that's oh. right. That's what I read too. Yeah, I was like, and he was put in, yeah, and he was put in the insane asylum. Um, I think it happened in like the early '80s or something, and apparently he's still there in the wow. insane asylum today. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, um, it, it's like there's a, I mean, it's like there's a curse. I mean, yeah. I hate to say it like that, but I mean, you know, it. I mean, the whole, and then the whole thing where it started, I mean, you know, it's like Derek is Eric and Layla is Patty. You know, it was all right. just kind of like all put together behind this guy's desire for this woman that was just way beyond, you know, what was, I guess, considered normal. I mean, it was. Like I said, I mean that that kind of obsession. In a way, when you look at it, it, it's it has a beautiful side, but it has a very dark side too. I mean, <laughs> right? You know, because listening to this song, I mean, you know, Layla, you've got me on my knees. I mean, you know, the, the the place where he was, I mean, he was a very vulnerable place, and I mean, just for him to kind of, like you said, have it all out on his sleeve, you know, the way he did, so passionately. I mean, it's it's. It, it comes through in this song <laughs> yeah. in a way that I, I can relate to and I can respect. And that's another thing about this record. I mean, I, I, I liked Eric Clapton, but after reading about kind of this this period in his life, I have much more respect for him than I did before. I mean, not saying what he did was right, but to see him to like go from that and then some of the other things he went through much later in life, obviously, some other tragedies. The fact that he's still around, the fact that he like, oh, yeah. you know, just a few weeks ago paid homage to B.B. King, you know, as being a mentor to him. And he still can play. And, and you know, he's not in a mental institution is a testament, really. You know, I mean, yeah, he's yeah. been through hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say, I mean, like, you know, Tears in Heaven, obviously, is about his son who passed away tragically. I mean, that's. Some some other things that that happened in his life too that you know I'm like oh, wow <laughs> yeah he's, guys he's, been through a he's lot he's been yeah. through a lot a lot and I mean like I said again not to say that some of the things that he did you know on his own were you know they were right but just like I said to to still be able to kind of you know be humble and, and talk about it you know and. You know, it's it's I'm I'm amazed by the guy. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, well, should we listen to the first track? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, let's check it out. This is the first track. This is Layla. <laughs>
and we're going to move on to our second track, Bell Bottom Blues. And uh, this is a, you know, it has another great sort of hooky guitar riff, just like Layla does. Um, you know, I read that Dwayne Allman is the one who came up with that that riff in Layla, you know, that famous riff. Uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, that's what Wikipedia said. So, you know, it has to be true. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's what Wikipedia said. Uh um but this one this one is one that Dwayne Allman was not on. But uh Yeah, he, yeah. But uh yeah, it's it's got another one of these great hooky guitar riffs that kind of um uh kind of ground it, you know, throughout. And uh it's you know, a kind of a dual sort of blues rock guitar back and forth. Uh, in dialogue mm-hmm. throughout, um, and really some great harmony vocals. Um, and again, it's I, about you know, unrequited love. I think. I think it's another one about Patty Boyd. I, but yeah, yeah, it, it it is. It's it's on her too. And, and about the 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 vocal, one thing that that Eric Clapton talked about was the the inspiration for a lot of the vocal on this was Sam and Dave, um, the way they would talk back and forth in songs. Um, you know, he had, and then, you know, one of the guys in the band would, would kind of sing back a chorus to him or sing along in the chorus to him, like the, you know, do you want to see me crawl across the floor to you? I mean, you know, that's, he said that that inspiration came from Sam and Dave, you know, great soul duo, you know, hold on, I'm coming. And, I'm yeah. a soul man, you know, that anyway, <laughs> um, they, they, you know, they loved, you know, that kind of, of, of soul music and, um, you know, that carries over into the song. And uh, again, uh, you know, Patty Boyd apparently, you know, wanted Eric Clapton when he was in the States to bring her back a pair of, of bell bottoms. And and apparently that's where some of the inspiration <laughs> came in this song where, you know, you know, they're they're trying to carry on this this sort of affair. And um and he I mean he he knows. I mean, this is jacked up, but he just he cannot stop himself, you know. And and she's, you know, she's not helping, obviously. So it's both parties are, you know, they're they're wrong in it, but they're in so deep, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, I I think too that, like I said, the the things that he had to do to to try to you know lure her away from from George, you know, it got to be like this this act that it was, it was just really hard to keep up, you know, and he knows probably it's not going to end well, but he's still just trying to hang in there and just, yeah. And just take it for what it is. And, and I, and I think that's, that, that comes through in this song too. You know, it's all wrong, but it's all right. You know, (laughs) the way that you treat me, honey. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard song, but it's a, it's 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 beautiful because <laughs> you know so many people have been through you know you know really toxic bad relationships that they knew you know were were wrong from the start but they kept them going because of the way they felt because of that person whoever it was you know right and um i i really i i know this happened a long time ago but i i feel for for both of them you know because they're they're longing for something that really is, is wrong and can't be right ever. Yeah. You know? And, um, I, I, I love the, like you said, the, the guitar parts, because you hear, you hear two, and I think Eric is playing both of them. Um, and the way they play off of each other. I mean, it's very clever and it's very, you know, sonically, aesthetically pleasing, (laughs) you know? Right. Um, yeah, I just I it's, loved that dialogue back and forth between the two guitars. Yeah. 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 This very cool kind of harmonic exchange and you know, it, it's 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 rocking, but it's kind of bluesy. Um you know, it's I love I love this song as much as I love Layla, you know, maybe more at times, you know. Um you know, it's it's like a song when you 
when you're when you're broken hard and you want to get smashed drunk <laughs> is is really brilliant to listen to i mean it's, it's like one of those songs you know yeah yeah because uh, it's just like he's pouring his heart out you know exactly yep and, that, um, yeah you know again like i said i know this happened a long time ago and it's it's just amazing you know to look back and see how he put himself out there you know he was really in love with this woman you yep, know, yep. in a in a bad way where it's it's so bad, you know. And I'm I'm sure you know he went through probably years of 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 regret and depression and you know more alcoholism and more drugs and then getting off and then coming back and you know, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I and I mean, it's, and I know it's kind of like, you know, poor little rock star, but still he's, he's a human being, you know, everybody, you know, I can't believe I'm getting rid of Everybody kind of hurts, you know, the same way. Not like, you know, like that song, but <laughs> you know, cause I, I'm, I'm anyway, that's a whole nother show. Um, <laughs> you know, he, even with the, the status and the money and, and the fact that, you know, he could move on from her and find, you know, a hundred different women that would, you know, ease his pain it's still in his head he loved that one woman you know yeah and wrote so many probably so many songs you know are attributed to her you know but you know it's he's he's stealing a, a beatles woman you know <laughs> which i'm sure was like once people kind of realize you know it's like a no-no you know it was are you crazy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Okay, well, let's check it out. Let's hear this. <laughs> um, this is Bell Bottom Blues by Derek and the Dominoes. bottom blues by Derek and the dominoes and we're going to move on to our second album paul desmond with jim hall his album take 10 and paul desmond um an alto saxophone player made a name for himself first with dave brubeck and he actually wrote take five i didn't know that 
Um, yeah, I always assumed yeah. that Dave Brubeck wrote that, but no, Paul Desmond wrote that. Yeah, um, yeah it just yeah. made them synonymous with each other where you, you cannot really think about one without the other, especially that saxophone riff in Take 5. I mean, it's it's obviously, you know, you know Paul Desmond-esque, you know, it's, it's his oh, signature yeah. sound. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he had such a, just a laid back, airy, chilled out kind of sound you know yeah. to his uh to his saxophone um that yeah that became his signature sound it became that signature sound for the dave brubeck uh quartet um and uh later on you know with all of his uh solo efforts and stuff and this is this is one and this is kind of a i don't know it's kind of a take five two <laughs> take ten is kind of a sort of a take five two if you will um yeah it's kind of a play on take five and uh which we'll get to in a minute um but paul desmond um you know like a lot of the artists we talk about on the show he he had his demons for sure yeah and uh when you read about him he you know he and brubeck were very close they were very opposite personalities. Uh, Brubeck was kind of a family man and and a very kind of grounded person. And Desmond was kind of a free spirit, I guess. Yeah. And never settled down, you know, always with different women and um, had, uh, again, kind of substance abuse problems, a um, lot of alcohol, uh, chain-smoked, which yeah, ultimately the, ended up killing him. That, yeah, that's the thing I was going to say. Yeah. The cigarettes. He, yeah. he apparently he he smoked constantly, constantly, and that's one of the things that did him in um, was cigarette smoking. Um, ironically, yep, yep. Um, yeah, you know, back in the fifties and stuff. That you know, even like Nat King Cole and stuff. We, we talked about same thing. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's another one of these guys that um, he ended up playing with a lot of, you know, a ton of people, made a ton of recordings. And if you look at his discography, it was just like, it was like, wow, this guy yeah. recorded a lot of albums. Um, and uh, he was, you know, I, he was kind of an opportunist. I mean, um, you know, he he met brubeck in the service when they were both uh, enlisted for world war ii they were both in the army band that's where they met and uh afterwards they kind of split um after what was it uh paul desmond was leading a group he hired brubeck and then paid him like half the salary that he said he was going to because he took the other half of his salary to go gamble (laughs) (laughs) and then he took he ended up taking all of it to go gamble and then Bruheck was like okay you know screw this and he he left and um then desmond went to new york and apparently when he was in new york he heard one of brubeck's group's early recordings on the radio and when he heard this on the radio he moved back to California and basically begged Brubeck to let him back in the group. <laughs> and it was kind of funny because Brubeck at first was just like, there's no way in hell I'm letting you back in my group. <laughs> and then after begging and begging and begging, he finally agreed to let him back in the group on the condition that Desmond would babysit his kids. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That so was, a, that was the thing that got him back in the group. He's like, okay, I'll babysit your kids. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so then they, you know, of course made, you know, take five and all these other famous recordings. Um, but, uh, it also, this album also features Jim Hall, which, um, Jim Hall's considered, um, one of the, the great jazz guitarists. He had a very Mm -hmm. long, illustrious career. Um, he doesn't quite have the name recognition as some other, you know, famous jazz guitarist but he is like super famous and well known especially in the jazz community he's just revered um in that community um yeah anything any thoughts you had on this album 
No, you 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 pretty much summed it up, and especially the you know I I would kind of like to touch on like you say Jim Hall is is on quite a few really famous recordings between the two, but you know like you said the people don't know him as as much. I I didn't really know of him as much, you know, but I knew his sound, you know, and um, he's one of those guys I you know I definitely would like to kind of get into more uh, as far as you know so called really famous jazz sidemen. Um, that uh, are on just all these really legendary, you know, iconic jazz recordings right, right. Um, that inspired so many people. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The first track we're gonna listen to, take ten. Um, like I said before, it's kind of like a take five part two. Um, it's you know, it's in five, and it's got kind of the same structure, similar structure, similar uh, harmonies, and sort of similar melody. But um, it's a little more chilled, I don't know, a little more laid back feeling, yeah. you know? Yeah, a um, lot more. Laid, I, I would say yeah. a lot more. I mean, well, a lot, he, yeah, you're right, a lot more. He's um, just one of those guys that just defined sort of cool jazz, if that if that label could get thrown out there, or even right. West Coast. That was another one that got thrown in. It was West Coast jazz. West Coast, uh, yeah. that That's true. I mean, um, there was... It kind of interestingly similarly to the hip-hop scene there was kind of an east coast scene and a west coast scene yeah and yeah. this you know they were one of the big west coast and it's kind of interesting that the west coast jazz was more laid back than the east coast counterpoint kind of the same as the hip-hop scene yeah which yeah. is interesting Isn't that funny yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess that's something that's just just kind of carried over with the the scene of, of the areas where you know new york is you know always you know kind of tougher if you can make right. it there you've made it anywhere in california is just like you know what dude i'm just gonna sit here and i'm just gonna chill <laughs> okay we're we're not gonna get excited you know the weather is is perfect exactly you know yeah what what are we what are you what, what's the matter what are you relax <laughs> relax dude okay <laughs> yeah i think you said it um uh yeah one thing you know i heard immediately because this is the first track on the album is the first track i hear um is how well paul desmond's tone and style fits with jim uh, hall's tone and style yeah i mean they're both very mellow you know, and laid back, and they both complement each other like, oh, you know, just like an easy chair, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, you're right. That's that's really important when it comes to dealing with um, Paul's legacy is tone and style. I mean, that's that's not something that that everybody can can pull off the way he did, to where it, it's it's almost flawless. I mean, you know, it's it's not elevator music, but it's it's so easy. It's so light at times and so very harmonic and cool. Um, yeah, that it, it's to, for me, it's irresistible at times. I mean, almost anything he played on, you know, he carried that same tone with him wherever he went. I mean, you know, and, and in jazz, too, I. I have a great appreciation for people who who could focus on that. Um, okay, like Ella Fitzgerald, she has she has like this perfect pitch in her voice when you hear her sing, and her her mind for tone and and style carried over a lot like his did, where you know it can be so easy to listen to them, you know, and I mean, and and it's just it just pairs out everything, you know in the song you know as far as like the the components in it and i i just love the way he could just make a song his and as far as his thumbprint where that that tone was in everything it was so mellow and so very smooth and and such sweet harmonies you know um stan gets he, he could do that too but i i think paul had it better in a lot of ways than stan gets did and um you know, I I have a lot of respect for for his style, um, and like I say, when, whenever I hear him, you know, I you almost know it immediately. You know, when when you hear him playing, you know, distinguished from 
pretty much anybody else. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's check it out. This first track from Paul Desmond and Jim Hall. This is Take 10. We just heard Take 10, and we're going to move on to our second track, Alone Together. And, uh, you know, this track, again, features his sort of, uh, his tone, but it's, I don't know, it's even kind of, on this track, I think, lighter and more ethereal than than normal. Um, Yeah. And it's interesting to, you know, hear his tone as compared to some of his contemporaries, like like Coltrane or or Cannonball Adderley or something, I mean, it's totally different. Yeah, totally different. Almost like you know, like a different instrument, almost. Um, and this one features a solo by Jim Hall, which I think is awesome because in this uh, this this quartet that they have going, there's no piano, right? So the only <laughs> The only um, harmony instrument is the guitar. So during the solo, Jim Hall's solo, I love this bare texture because there is no chord instrument anymore, right? Yeah. So it's just the bass and drums and Jim Hall. And uh, his solo is, it's so great how he solos because he mixes the sort of lyrical, melodic stuff with sort of... uh, I don't know, kind of outlining the harmonies still, so you can still be kind of grounded in the harmonic progressions. And he does that all. You know, he does it all. Um, yeah, what did you think of this tune? Well, well, I think the title hits at, at what they were they were kind of pushing towards. I yeah. mean, you know, the, to set the atmosphere, um, you know, supposedly for, you know, two people who were by themselves and, you know, trying to maybe you know get in the mood or or we're already in the mood and they're just trying to enhance the mood um i think that song does this uh for whoever or whomever very well (laughs) um just you know in a in a kind of not too pretentious sense i guess but you know you like you said there's there's no piano and it's just kind of like you know the the components that are in it just kind of playing together and and not you know not doing too much but still like you said lighter than the other song we heard and you know i i think setting the atmosphere for you know two people alone you know very well you know i that's that's what i get from this song you know and um you know and and a lot of his songs obviously could have been like that but you know i think that you know like i said the title kind of hits at 
at what maybe he was pushing at in making this song, you know, or or his mindset in making this song, maybe. So Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's check this out. This cool. second track from Paul Desmond. This is Alone Together. We just heard Alone Together from Paul Desmond and uh, Jim Hall. I'm going to move on to our third album. Tumani Diabate and Balake Sissoko, their album New Ancient Strings, released in 1999. And this is uh, uh, an African duo um, from Mali. And they play this instrument called a kora. It's K-O-R-A. It's a 21-string harp lute. Hmm. And I actually looked up um, some information on this instrument because it's, you know, obviously such an uh, unusual instrument. And it's not an instrument that we're really familiar with. It wasn't something that I was familiar with for sure. And, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting instrument. I mean, it, it can't really be categorized as one as belonging to one family because it's got characteristics of a harp. And it's also got characteristics of a lute or a guitar, you know, something like that. It's sort of like a hybrid instrument. Yeah. Um, it's supposedly very difficult to play, um, very difficult to tune. Some say it's like almost as difficult to learn to tune it as it is to learn to play it. Sure. <laughs> um, and uh, it's interesting that this instrument has such a history i think it started maybe in like the 16th century they say and it's made from a uh, a big gourd like called a calabash it's a big gourd that's cut in half and they take cow skin and stretch the cow skin over it um and then they have a, a long piece of hardwood as the neck is how it's sort of made um and this is a an instrument of like that their word is jolly, like J-A-L-I, and we would sort of say like a bard or some kind of oral historian. So this that's kind of the tradition. And it was sort of passed down through generations, so there were jolly families. And these families would just, you know, 
they would pass this tradition down from one generation to the next. Yeah, both guys apparently, I guess their their parents, they're, they they came from a long family of musicians and yeah. all. Just like you said, you know, passed along the tradition. Right. Um, right. Well, their fathers were players, and they released an album in the '60s called "Ancient Strings." And now their sons um, released an album, you know, released their album of duets um, in this tradition called New Ancient Strings in 1999, which is what this is. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Very good record. <laughs> this is a, 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 a record I, I, I'm not sure if I'd ever heard it or, or, or was familiar with. I don't think so. But it, I mean, as I listened to the tracks, like, that you kind of brought up and selected that we were going to talk about. Well, I was like, man, I need to listen to this whole thing. I mean, I, I immediately wanted to listen to the rest of it. And I mean, it's, it's really good. I mean, you know, very good. You know, I mean, the, yeah. the, the way, the way it sounds and the atmosphere it puts out. I mean, I, I immediately was, you know, kind of drawn towards that. And I mean, you know, it's so far, I mean, you know, going through this book, I mean, it's it's definitely one of the better discoveries of a record that I'd never really heard before. I mean that I would I wouldn't mind owning. I mean it's it was really really good. You know just to hear the sound of this instrument and the way they they play together. You know it it kind of reminds me of of some some music I've heard. Um, so sort of Japanese inspired in music, even though they're in Africa. Just the way the the sound of the string is. Um, yeah, it does sound kind of similar to the Japanese lute. It's called a a koto. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can hear that. Yeah, you know, and that, and that's what I kept I kept going back to thinking, you know, man, they're they're not in Japan, but when I hear this, that's that's kind of what I think. And I mean, obviously, you know, the the traditions maybe you know there was a cross somewhere, or just the fact that they're you know the the instruments themselves have you know sort of ties, you know, the way they're they're put together or, or the way that just the sound comes off, you know? Yeah. Um, they're um, really I just thought not, that was interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because they're really not similar in the, in the way that they're made. Yeah. Um, but I guess they are kind of similar in the way that they're played, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can totally hear that, that Koto connection. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the coolest things about just listening to this album is just what you said, how they play off each other, how the mm. two instruments just, just play off each other and create that back and forth again, that back and forth dialogue, you know, just like we heard in the yeah. kind of what, like what we heard between Clapton and, uh, Allman and yeah, you know, the, the first track we're going to listen to is called B Lambam. And, uh, this is established by one of them creates a sort of bass rhythm, you know, mm-hmm. and then the other one um, starts playing just kind of imp- improvised kind of licks over it. And they sort of trade back and forth. They'll trade this bass rhythm back and forth. They'll trade licks back and forth. And uh, man, it's just, it's engaging and hypnotic, you know, at the yeah. same time. That that's a good oh yeah that's a good word for what they do. I mean you you are almost put into like a trance like state when yeah. you sit there. I mean I was at work the other day and I I was just sitting kind of listening going man I could just kind of sit here and and do this all day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah uh, yeah that was that's a good word for it hypnotic yeah 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 so let's check this out so we can hear it. This cool. is uh, the first track from Tumani Diabate and Balake Sisoko. This is B. Lambam.
And we just heard B Lambam, and we're going to move on to the last track, Salomon. And this is like a like a slower, more contemplative track, you know, less frenetic, almost meditative kind of track. Um, it's got some really unusual harmonic progressions. I mean, some of the some of the opening har- harmonies, sort of harmonic progressions, um, almost reminded me of kind of, of like a Bach like sound, hmm. um, which I thought was was very interesting. Um, you know, I sort of talked about this when we talked about Bach, but Bach played this instrument. It was sort of like a keyboard lute. It was sort of like a lute strung, like gut strung keyboard instrument that was plucked. And when you listen to that and listen to this track, you know, there there's like a similar sound. It's kind of interesting. It's, it's, it's amazing that that this instrument can create so many associations with like other completely unrelated things. Like you said, like the Koto uh, association or the Bach association. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's so cool how how I don't know how many images and associations and stuff pop up into your mind when you're sort of listening to this yeah just a multi-string instrument where the strings are, are drawn really really long um and just the sound i mean it, it it has this this sound like you said it just evokes a lot of of different images of, of different types of music that are just totally unrelated to the root of what this is um and it just kind of it kind of transcends a lot of different you know, styles, if you would, which I think is, like I said, I, I love that. I I mean, you know, like I said, when I'm, I'm listening to this, I mean, it's something that seems so very, very cool, you know, something that's very timeless even, you know, to where you don't really have to, you know, have a point of reference even for, for a period of time. It's just something that's been obviously been going on for a long, long while. It doesn't really seem to get old, you know, um, and I, I I love that. I love that in a, a style of music of any type, you know, that especially yeah. the way that, that these guys are doing it where they're going to hand it down to their sons or daughters or, you know, family to, to keep the tradition kind of going, you know, like a like a time capsule that, you know, that, you know, you, you'll never really, you know, have this fade out, hopefully, because it's really I mean, I like I said, it's one of those records that we've covered. I've. I've you know, I'm really, really amazed by the way it sounds, you know, throughout. It's just a very good, good record. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's check out this last track from Tumani Diabate and Balake Sissoko. This is Salomon.
and we just heard Solomon, and that's going to do it for 1000 Recordings Podcast, episode 58. If you'd like to send us an email, please send one to 1000recordingspodcast at gmail.com. You can join us on Twitter at 1000RP. You can join us on Facebook on our page there, and you can go on iTunes and leave us a review and a rating, and if you do, we will read it on the air, and that will help us in uh, having listeners be able to find us and stuff like that. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. That's patreon.com slash 1000RP and becoming a patron of the show, and that'll help us in our expenses, buying music, and other expenses uh, that we have to do. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) patreon.com slash 1000RP. And let's see, next time. Neil Diamond, uh, Hot August Night. Um, It looks like a live album from Neil Diamond. Uh, That could be fun. Uh, Neil Diamond, kind of iconic figure in music. Uh, Yeah. Lots of really good songs there. Um, Manu Dibango. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Yeah, he... He uh, he has a song, Soul Makosa, that is like a just this iconic sort of dance song that went from being like African influenced dance song to to like this massive disco hit here <laughs> in in this country. It inspired uh, quite a few people, uh, you know, to make you know songs similar. And then uh, and then Bo Diddley looks like a a self talent album from you know rock and roll. Hall of Famer, legend, Bo Diddley, who weird, weirdly enough, in in some Facebook posts I've seen, people have, have been coming up talking about him passing away, which he he passed away like in 2008. Which yeah, I that's was, right. Yeah, I saw I'm that. Like, I did. I saw that too, and I was like, wait a minute, didn't he die already? <laughs> yeah, he's been passing. Yeah, he passed away, and I think maybe you have one person that all of a sudden raises up and realizes Bo Diddley died, and I'm like, yeah, he died like several years ago <laughs> you know it was yeah it was in the news <laughs> so anyway you know it's just one of those so the internet is such a weird place dude where where oh, some man. people they're they're not dead and then people claim like when when bon jovi apparently died you know around christmas a couple of years back and and then uh you know showed up on his old facebook page you know talking about hey i'm i'm not dead you know <laughs> I'm, I'm really i'm here i'm alive you know anyway um just uh kookiness yeah but uh yeah well, it cool. should be a good show yeah, yeah just should be interesting lots of interesting interesting stuff to talk about as usual yeah. cool man all right well until that time um we will cover more cool music from tom moon's book and we will see everybody later All right. Bye-bye.